And I would like to start by saying that, you know, we're not only mind, we're also body. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as we are body, we're also mind. It's hard to even draw a line um, between the two. <laughs> well, it, mm-hmm. you'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. As you probably know by now, the techniques that I use for tackling chronic pain with psychedelics revolve mostly around combining the psychedelic experience with posture therapy. And while I see great results with my techniques, they are by no means the only way to target pain with psychedelics. There are most certainly other ways to go about it, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with someone who does just that. When it comes to pain that is firmly rooted in emotional trauma, the techniques we discuss here might actually be even more effective or better suited for the task than what I do that is largely focused on these types of physical problems, right? Now, Payam, who I spoke with today, is a psychedelic somatic internal family systems practitioner, and he's a medicine carrier, and he interfaces with various traditional and non-traditional psychedelic compounds in the treatment of trauma and chronic pain. He collaborates internationally with world-renowned surgeons, physicians, psychiatrists, and therapists in the treatment of the underserved population of chronic pain patients. Additionally, he has presented his work at numerous medical conferences reporting on the nature of pain throughout the unitary unitary mind-body paradigm while also demonstrating how to alleviate pain at the intersection of traditional shamanic psychedelic medicines and Western evidence-based practices. His work focuses on the biopsychosocial, the spiritual, and the energetic elements of healing. By acknowledging and addressing the totality of the human experience, he has seen firsthand how it can have a dramatic effect on mitigating the patient's effective experience of trauma and pain. We talked about a huge range of topics, and these were all surrounding psychedelics and chronic pain. These are something, things like the neuroscience of pain, the mind-body connection, the spiritual aspect of these medicines, and the differences between MDMA are just some of what we covered. You definitely don't want to miss this episode, guys. If you like this kind of content and want to help it reach even more people who can benefit from it, and maybe even help make a difference in how psychedelics for the use of chronic pain are viewed by society, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, submit a five-star rating, interact with me in the comments, respond to this episode's poll if you're listening on Spotify, and please, guys, share this link on your social media channels. Every single one of those little actions helps tell the all-knowing algorithms to put this content in front of more people. So, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Payam. All right, thank you for joining us for this episode of Chronic Pain Rewired. And today I've got a guest who I'm really excited to speak with, and his name is Payam. And uh, Payam, you're in Holland, right? Very much so, yeah, currently. And... I know you uh, do ceremonies all over the world uh, in, in many respects, but um, yeah. I, we were also talking earlier, you said this is just the beginning of the day, so I hope this is a nice way for you to uh, begin your day, you know, work those regular hours. Uh, <laughs> it's always it's always wonderful to do something something that starts from the matter of the heart, you know, the place from the heart, so I'm very delighted to be here, and thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for joining me. I'm delighted you're here as well. Um, sure. So before we really get into the kind of meat of our discussion, we've got a lot of great topics on the slate here. I want to give our listeners and watchers a chance to connect with you and understand kind of your origin story, where you're coming from. So can you tell us where you uh, 
or why you got into psychedelics, what, what was going on in your life and maybe uh, childhood, things like that, that, that prompted you to get into the space. Sure. It always, it always starts at the beginning, right? <laughs> <laughs> you just don't arrive. Um, well, um, I, how do I, how do I wrap this up very quickly uh, in a nice package? Um, I would say that, um, unlike many, fortunately, um, I had some severe childhood uh, traumas. Um, some of the bigger ones were um, sort of repressed in, into my unconscious mind. And then the, the, there were several, many actually, other traumas. Um, you know, I grew up in a war zone. I was a political refugee. Uh, I lost everything many times. Um, so there's all these traumas that happened and continued on happening for quite a long time in my life. Um, and I had my first severe um, um, depressive episode when I was around 19. And um, at that point, I decided to study biopsychology because I was like, well, um, it's interesting what's happening to me. So I want to understand it. So I went to school to be a psychiatrist. And um, I studied it and it was fine, but it wasn't giving me the answers. Um, I graduated from school and that wanted uh, and ended up going to New York to pursue um, work in, in the creative field. Um, but depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation never left me. They were always my shadows. Um, to to uh, where I got to a point where I, I was finished. I was kind of uh, thinking to myself, something's got to give. Uh, whether it's about my life or there's got to be a rewiring or some something has to change because I can't continue on living like this and constantly stressed and, and anxiety, depression, and so forth. Um, and um, yeah, I met my mentor who, who was a facilitator of uh, what I would say is arguably the strongest psychedelic known to man. Um, and I got blasted open <laughs> <laughs> and bore witness to what it was that was underneath the shadows of my mind and my body. And um, that actually initiated me into shamanic work. And soon thereafter, I decided that, uh, well, the reality as I knew it made no sense. And for me to participate in that reality would basically mean that I was participating in, in my own uh, insanity and lunacy. So um, it was a major shift in my relationship with myself, this reality and the work that it did. And um, I started working with medicines um, right away, actually, assisting first, and then I, I continued on doing my own work. Mm -hmm. uh, what medicine was that that you tried that first time? There's certain medicines I won't um, disclose okay. um, <laughs> for a couple reasons. Um, I think because of the sanctity of certain medicines, their, their potency and um, um, the people that facilitate certain medicines, I won't mention the names of the medicines or, or the facilitators uh, out of respect to their privacy and also the sanctity of this medicine. All I'll say is it uh, smashed me into a million pieces and, uh, <laughs> and it was that. <laughs> it it obliterated my mind, my body, my soul, everything right. got turned upside down and inside out and exploded and came back together and more of a coherent uh, way of um, the way I saw myself. Okay. What did the, what, what did that initial integration process look like for you? 
Well, that was the that was the problem that I consistently see through and through in a lot of these psychedelic communities that that people really themselves facilitators don't have the skills to help people fully integrate um, big experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, depending on how facilitators work, most that I've seen, um, and I don't socialize with many facilitators, serve the medicine and then they pack up and leave. So they really don't have the, the tools or the time or the, the, the um, um, intention to fully help people integrate, especially when those are really massive experiences involving childhood trauma or, or various other trauma. Um, and that's what took me into really, truly trying to understand the nature of human psyche as I started to understand it 20 years after studying it mm-hmm. and uh, trying to make sense of, wow, okay, that was that. How do I bring that back into some kind of framework that made sense to my thinking mind um, in this body, in this reality, in, in, in this par- paradigm that I'm in? Um, so it it really was... <laughs> tough for me because it, there was no support I had none um, and I had to figure out on my own luckily I had the resources and I was resourced from within to uh, work through the stuff that I needed to but I, I think it's on, an unfortunate element in the psychedelic communities that many facilitators don't really have the skill to fully help people in, in, that, in that capacity um, I just saw someone yesterday um, who went into an, an ayahuasca ceremony with no proper, no, no intake whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, she was uh, sitting with 99 other people, had this big experience that it was very difficult and it was rooted in childhood trauma and she really tr- had no support to try to make sense of what that was like. And for me to just explain to her, you know, these are the various facets of this medicine, these are the various facets of how the body responded, how the the mind, how the mind is responding right now. And she finally realized that, okay, I'm not alone in this. And actually I'm not going insane. And this is actually part of the paradigm we're working with medicines that expand your consciousness on another level. Um, so that's, that's an unfortunate thing that I see. So I, I decided that that's not something I would want to ever see happen with um, people who I facilitate medicine for, or uh, people that I may uh, be in a supporting position with, um and the ceremonies that I was assisting in. Yeah, I can I can empathize with that. I after my first big experience, I, I didn't even know what integration was. I had I had no idea what any of this stuff uh, yeah. <laughs> and it it was a it was a tough eighteen months after that. <laughs> That's right, you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. Um at what point did you decide that you want to move into this kind of space for facilitating these experiences um for me it was it it was immediate i i like as i said i i basically died on the mat and i came back and i sat with my mentor the second time after that i asked him to show me the way and he said okay Mm -hmm. and that was basically it there was no it, it it made no sense for me and i had was fortunate enough to be um living a life that didn't involve other people immediately. I was not partnered up. I, I, um, I didn't have kids and never, you know, never had really a normal family structure. So I decided to make some radical shifts that really didn't impact other people. Okay. So it was immediate. Yeah. And 
at what point did uh, internal family systems or uh, somatic internal family systems come into play? Mm. Well, um, it was a um, rough start because how do you make sense of spirit? How do you make sense of um, how these these energies of these medicines work through you somatically, emotionally, psychologically, energetically. Um, how do you make sense of it? It, it? it was very, very hard for me as much as I understood that I was having visions and, you know, basically these experiences that shamans have and it's just a matter of life for them. It's just a matter of fact, for me, it was really difficult um, having visions and understanding things. And I would go to my mentor, I'm like, and then this happened, and this happened, and I think I'm losing my mind. He's like, no, no, it's totally part of it. Mm -hmm. And I, I realized that I wasn't losing my mind because the visions that I was having were exactly what needed to happen yeah. in the ceremonies that I was assisting in. But <laughs> nevertheless, you're like, okay, <laughs> am I really losing my mind? Um, I was I was always very interested in the, the, the body and the, the psyche. I'd, I'd been in the healing arts while I was pursuing the creative field, um, practicing various modalities of yoga, time massage. I was in martial arts for many years. So I was sort of attuned to what the body and nervous system and nerves and all these interesting things that our body does, our body, the body-mind connection, the mind-body connection, mm -hmm. breath work, meditation. Um, it was not unfamiliar territory for me. And, and during that time, I was very much um, listening to the work of Gabor Mate. And uh, he started to make sense into me and in the whole body mind um, dyad, you know, that body mind relationship. And um, it was in one of his lectures that someone had mentioned IFS. So I researched IFS. Um, then I found somatic experiencing. Then I found somatic IFS and all these schools of wisdom informed me through another lens, how this experience could be framed for people and, and facilitated, right? So it, it just, um, it was knowledge that I could use to incorporate into my experience with the medicines that I worked with to give people a broader experience, a wider experience, a broader way of understanding how these medicines were working through them and, and, and so forth. And not only doing that, but also working with the tools that these um, schools of thought have to help people heal themselves somatically, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, I guess, do, do you have anything else you'd like to add about kind of where you got into this work before we move on to maybe the kind of neuroscience area of no, this? I think, that, I, I think that covers it. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Uh, so, I know that you work a lot with people with obviously uh, childhood trauma, sexual trauma, things like that, but you also work a lot with people who are suffering from pain and there's a big overlap there as well. Um, what, in your, in your experience, how, how do, how do you think the brain processes pain? And how does how does trauma <laughs> how does trauma play into that? I know it's a big question. Well, how do I, yeah, no, I, I was thinking quite for for quite a long time to try to help you synthesize 
the nature of body mind, uh, the nature of um, trauma and pain, um, the nature of our relationship with it. Um, I would like to start by saying that, you know, we're not only mind, we're also body. Mm -hmm. Um, as much as we are body, we're also mind. It's hard to even draw a line um, between the two. <laughs> well, it, you'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised because most people are stuck in their thinking heads as a means to compensate and adapt and survive. Mm-hmm. And then if you have various traumas, you dissociate from the body. So you can't even feel the body. Mm-hmm. Right? If people are um, not connected to themselves on a very superficial level, you can go to yoga classes and you can listen to a teacher say, put your left foot up and bring it over your right hip. Uh, And some people flail because they they are really disconnected from their bodies. And that's Mm -hmm. not not considering trauma that could be in their bodies, right? Mm -hmm. Body is unitary. The body-mind is unitary. Mm -hmm. Okay, And where, where these... We're basically satellite dishes that take in data, always information, mm-hmm. right? And how does this information uh, enter our consciousness, you know, through our autonomic nervous system, through our ANS, through our CNS, central nervous system, right? Mm-hmm. These nerves are afferent, right? So they're bottom up. So 80% of the wisdom, the experience, the, the experience of the body, is translated and emitted to the mind and 20% downwards. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we think our reality and our experience is all in the mind. Okay. Because we are so disconnected from our bodies. And the reason why that is, is because the nature of the, 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 the society in which we are evolving in, which is basically uh, has us in a state of fight or flight, mm-hmm. right? So we're in a sympathetic nervous system activation constantly, always going, always on survival mode. And information overload as well. <laughs> and information overload, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we're already and then, and then yeah. And then we tr- and then we try to, we have to regulate, right? We can't constantly be up there. So how do we regulate and bring ourselves down? We use various other drugs, you know, alcohol, food, sex, entertainment, shopping, whatever it is, to soothe us, to bring us into sort of a resting state. Mm-hmm. So we're in a sympathetic and parasympathetic activation without really being able to be in this beautiful, harmonious um, window of tolerance of, okay, we can't always be a flat line. Right, but to be within the window of tolerance is very hard for most of us. Okay, so we're we're this electrical being, beings buzzing around constantly and being buzzed, uh, not fully aware of what's going on inside of us. The way we breathe, most people their breath is stuck right here. If you look at their chest, if you look at someone who's breathing, they're breathing here. Very rarely are they actually breathing breathing through the diaphragm into the stomach. That's actually a full breath. Yeah, we see. That's a calm breath. I see lots of people. 
You know, the whole whole shoulder girdling. Shoulder. Yeah, everything has to raise up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like the lungs are pushing the whole upper body up, and then mm-hmm. and then it's collapsing down yeah. on itself. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. the diaphragm is, is largely shut down. Yeah. And the body recognizes, the mind recognizes that, that this process is wrong, and then other things start to work harder because the diaphragm is it, yeah. it's just a – and then the brain starts going because there's – well, there must be something <laughs> wrong. It, it's <laughs> – There we go. See? Right? Yeah. So bottom up, right? Mm-hmm. Our bodies are in, in flight. And it's like you and I could be sitting there having a shot of uh, a nice, pleasant conversation as we are. And then I decided to say to you, hey, John, let's get a triple shot of espresso and shoot it right now. You mm-hmm. and me. So we shoot it. And next thing you know, <laughs> our heart's going a million miles an hour. Our body is like, and we're having a pleasant conversation, but our body is communicating alarm, mm-hmm. distress. So then it's a different, it's a, it's a different approach and experience that we start to have. Mm-hmm. Right? So the unitary body mind connection is very, very important, right? And understanding how to recognize various traumas that may have had imprints in our neurology, right? In our nervous system, how that may impact our body, how that may impact our minds, how that may impact that relationship, various kinds of trauma, what they actually are, right? uh, relational trauma can have actually a lot of influence in our experience with trauma and, and pain. It's a very interesting uh, conversation we're going to have. So all these aspects come in there, start to really inform the way we perceive ourselves and ourselves in experiences that may be re-traumatizing or experiences that are painful to our bodies or, per- or perceived as painful. Mm-hmm. Is w- What is perhaps like a difference between how childhood trauma and trauma acquired in adulthood, are, are there differences in how that, uh, how that affects pain in the body, how, how, uh, how people tend to present with things like that? <laughs> I, I smile because I think that not one person goes unscathed mm-hmm. by trauma. You come into this world and your birth could be traumatic. It actually is, by and large. The birth process is quite traumatic mm-hmm. for the mother and, and the infant, right? No one no one gets to come into this world unscathed unless you <laughs> get <laughs> thrown in a monastery. And that could be also very traumatizing yeah. in its own right, there, right? There's, there's all types of ways. Everyone's got trauma, mm-hmm. right? So um, it, it, it really um, depends on acute trauma, mm-hmm. like big T or chronic trauma, little T's that constantly mm-hmm. happen, right? How that imp- impacts our, our, our relationship with our bodies, where it lands in our body, right? Um, what I would say is that depending on what kind of trauma you've had, your body and your mind respond to stimuli and sensation or threat of sensation differently, right? Where that trauma may lay in your body consciously, where you know about it, could also be subconscious, could influence your relationship with later trauma right so it's i wouldn't say there's really much of a distinction between okay if you had earlier childhood trauma or later trauma it's all trauma it's really our relationship with the with the pain mm-hmm. you know and and we can get into the neurology of that it's our experience in the relationship with the pain that informs how we receive it and how we sit with the pain 
That makes a lot of sense. I want to dive into this a little bit. You'll meet a lot of people in today's society who insist that they do not experience, if they've, they've never experienced any kind of trauma, right? Um, what, maybe, and, and maybe there are a few, maybe, maybe there are a handful who, who, who've never, uh, at least nothing they remember, right? Um, okay. <laughs> but sure. what, what they could, where might someone who, who thinks like that start by reexamining their life? Like what, what types of events might they want to take a closer look at? Yeah, well, great question. Um, I think that the easiest and the simplest way, the first thing one must do is to be open to the possibility that they need healing, mm-hmm. to, to recognize that there's discord or disharmony in their lives. Mm-hmm. I think a right. lot of people who are suffering from chronic pain, because they're experiencing it so much in their body, could often be, I know I was like this for a long time, uh, completely shut down to the idea that, that my emotional trauma or, 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 or other, you know, whatever it might be, uh, could be related to my pain conditions because we, our minds can be really good at repressing and ignoring those, those thoughts. <laughs> and then it's, uh, right. we're going to the doctor. We want a simple solution and we want to, there's, you know, I'm experiencing this in my leg or in my chest or in my arm, whatever it is. Uh, there's, you know, I'm experiencing it in a physical place. There's gotta be a physical solution. And there, it's, I'm not saying it's all up here, uh, it, but there is an opportunity to come at it from a different angle, from a different approach, and maybe right. have better efficacy by combining, you know, combining a physical and, an, and a, a, a psychological or emotional healing type response. Um, yeah. You, you, touched, you touched on a few things and you made some really good points. Um, so the trouble with the Western model, um, I have some very, very close friends who are world-renowned doctors who, who advise me. Uh, sometimes I see their, their patients. Um, so I, I've interfaced quite a bit with, with physicians. So the prop, primary problem, like you mentioned, is symptom management, right? And it's important. If you have pain, okay, we need to address the symptoms and, and ameliorate the symptoms to, to, to alleviate the pain. Right. Um, but as you said, and I said, the body's a unitary being. Right. And most doctors focus on one thing, you know, whether they're a cardiologist, um, whether they're a, a, a GI doctor, uh, whether they're a neurologist, they focus on one particular area. And that's the, the field of their expertise. Mm-hmm. Very rarely do talk, doctors talk to each other. There's no crossover of, okay, well, unless they're plugged in, hey, why don't we discuss various aspects? What's going on in your life? You know, what's happening in the matrix of your life? Are you in a healthy relationship? What's your diet like? You know, what's your lifestyle like? All these elements could be contributing factors 
or underlying factors, depending on what's happening to the patient for the, the pain that they're experiencing, mm-hmm. right? So they separate. Here's a pill, here's a surgery, whatever it is. And those things, again, not to disparage the work of my very dear friends that do this work. So if there's a nerve impingement, for instance, they, they, go, they go in, cut the nerve if necessary, there's no impingement, there's no pain, mm-hmm. right? Um, there could be um, pain that has no structural root, mm-hmm. idiopathic pain, right? Uh, and I see quite a few of these, these patients. They, I, don't, I don't call them patients, I call them seekers because they're seeking the, their, their own healing. They come to me as patients. They have idiopathic pain. So they go through CT, can, CT scans, fMRIs, all, I mean, top to bottom, they get checked. There's nothing structurally wrong with them, yet they have these mystery pains, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of those mystery pains have deeper underlying roots that have nothing to do with the structural because technically structurally there's nothing wrong with them right Mm -hmm. so then we go and examine well what may have happened to you right what is your relationship with your body what is happening to you in your life that triggers these sensations in your body what are these sensations trying to communicate to you right learning to dance with the sensations that are in essence, communicators. Mm-hmm. I, I always say to people, I say, pain is a teacher. Yep. There, it's, it, it's there to keep us safe, keep the organism from harm, and, and essentially keep the har- organism from death. Mm-hmm. So once we recognize pain as a teacher, then we start to have a re- different relationship with the pain, and I start to understand what it is that the pain is actually trying to teach us. Mm-hmm. Two, two sided relationship as well right yeah i, I had okay. a i was facilitating a session this past weekend and started talking I had this person talking to his hip you know and, and asking it questions and, and and thanking it for its protection but you know maybe it's not longer needed right <laughs> um, right i think there's a lot of value in things like that um right how do when we start looking at psychedelics, what type of mm-hmm. what type of opening does that allow us to uh, to address these types of uh, th- these types of issues that are not necessarily structural but still causing pain? Can you rephrase the question for me so I can understand yeah, a little certainly. bit better? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so when we're looking at how psychedelics uh, affect the brain, for instance, um, and the the altered state of consciousness consciousness that people go into, how does that open right. the door for healing these types of non-structural pains? Got it. Yeah. Well, yeah, again, these are really excellent questions. So... They could be, again, could be structural pain. There mm-hmm. could be literally something wrong with us. Mm-hmm. Working with psychedelics can help us reframe and reshape our relationship with it. Mm-hmm. That's one piece. We can also work with medicines to understand the source and nature of the idiopathic pain as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want you to make a note of this because, you know, I can dive in, into this for a very, very long time. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we look at the nervous system, right? Mm-hmm. And our nervous system's response to trauma. So the, the primary two is fight, flight, and, and, and freeze. 
right? Fight or flight or freeze, sympathetic, parasympathetic. Our nervous system also responds in different ways to various other traumas. So fight, flight, freeze, fawn, or fold. Okay, so this, and, and, and uh, fawn is please or appease. Mm-hmm. And this, I'm, I'm starting to all, all of a sudden dive in deep to some <laughs> deeper uh, IFS and, and, and everything that I say has a um, um, psychological, physiological root, everything's evidence-based and you can research this, but I'm mm-hmm. speaking in a way that's accessible, right? right? Yeah. So our response to traumas causes our body and our nervous system to respond in a particular way, mm-hmm. right? Fight or flight, freeze, fawn, hold. Right. These have a impression into our mind. They leave a mental or a psychic impression in our mind. They also leave a mental or psychic impression in our body. But how we have a mental impression in our body, that doesn't make much sense, right? When this is where somatic IFS comes in. Each part of our body or a certain region that's holding a trauma has its own story, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, your, your back, for instance, right? Um, you could, you and I could be sitting here having a conversation or a, let's just, um, I'll use my body as an example. Um, <laughs> I've had a lot of injuries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're having a conversation right now. I didn't think of it, but there's a, there's a major cut on my left knee. Uh, and if I go and touch it, that cut, it can immediately take me back to the time that that trauma happened, how much I bled, how much I was about to pass out. The sensation that's actually when I touch it goes into my hip, mm-hmm. right? Every every part of our body also has a biography, mm-hmm. right? So these responses to trauma get stored in our bodies as parts have their own stories, right? Um, so that's one piece of it, right? And then the idiopathic, which is there may not be a structural trauma, but maybe within the nervous system something landed there Mm -hmm. in the case of physical trauma uh sexual trauma emotional trauma where we may not have been able to speak our voice for instance where we had to repress and and shut down our raging part because um we were abused by our primary caretakers and Mm -hmm. if we rage against them well how do we fight against our primary caretaker especially when we're young so all these emotions get stored in our body uh, and if there is no discharge, if there is no working through to these impressions that lay in us, and this is Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, even uh, holistic medicine now, they start to present as dis-ease. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then we go on with various medicines, depending on what the nature of the dis-ease is in the body and mind and what the person can work with, what their psychological structure is like, and open them up and then help them heal this structural or the idiopathic in the body and mind. And then we can talk about medicines and how we can do that. Right. That answered your question very Yeah, I think so. Simply? Yeah, yeah. It, okay. It basically allows us to approach a, approach the subject from a different angle. and Hyperdimensional angle in some cases. Yeah, different... <laughs> Different lenses at all different angles, <laughs> different timelines, all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we talked about a little bit about this um, in terms of the kind of Western medicine f- 
framework not being able to fully address these issues. Um, are there any other, before we move on to uh, going deeper into this kind of mind-body connection, um, what, are there any other kind of lingering ways that the Western medicine's medical system can fall short when, when addressing this type of, uh, of problem? <laughs> Do I open my mouth or not? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, for me to speak delicately and respectfully about this requires me some time to actually formulate um, a sentence um, that honors everyone that I know and I work with. I, I understand. Uh, I would say that <laughs> I would, I, but but I'll I'll, I'll touch on it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that physicians, unfortunately, the way they've been trained, unfortunately, the way the the, the American model is, they're working as quickly as, as they can to uh, as quickly diagnosing resolve someone's pain and then send them out the door. There's very little time, like I said, to kind of address the whole being of the person, the whole, their whole experience, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what do they get? Like in hospitals, like seven minutes, uh, a dear friend of mine who's in private, private practice says, it takes 45 minutes to an hour to talk to someone, mm -hmm. you know? And he actually uses the ACEs scale, scale. He works with me, right? Mm -hmm. And he goes through like, okay, all right, so these are the structural issues or these are the things going on. Let's talk about some other stuff. Right? right. So depending on the framework that you're in, you're really just, just limited. I'm not saying that doctors are bad people. Exactly. The nature of the, <laughs> the nature of the work and the, the framework limits them. Mm -hmm. That's number one problem. Then we, we talk about psychiatry. Again, I have some dear friends who are psychiatrists who prescribe med medicine or psycholytic uh, medicines that, that, that I refer people to them. They refer people to me. We, you know, we work together. Um, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, right? These are neurotransmitters that affect our experience of, of reality, mm -hmm. right? However, just because you're depressed doesn't mean you need serotonin, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you have certain symptomology, it may not necessarily be that you need dop dopamine or serotonin or norepinephrine or various other elements that come in and stabilize you. They, they were more and more, in my view, more symptom management of deeper underlying issues that may be in the body, right? right. But again, psychiatrists, unless they're super good and super tuned in and super aware, right? Most people are medicated and sent out the door and we understand how many different people benefit by people that are medicated mm -hmm. pharmaceutical, right? Yeah, so I mean, that's a lot another of people issue. Can't function without those. I mean, it's, 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 that's they can't. Yeah, but mm -hmm. and, that, at least, and that's at that's least with trouble. their current framework. Like our, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, the way our society is, I mean, uh, the way kind of the matrix of the reality of grant is, we have to be productive, consuming individuals. Mm -hmm. That's it. Once you fall out of that part that you're playing in the society, you're no longer valuable. Mm -hmm. You human beings are used as commodity. So long as you benefit the greater good, 
and operate within certain parameters, you're good to go. So we're just going to keep you there and so forth. Right. And people don't have the luxury, right? So how do we, again, help someone understand the root of what may be causing them anxiety, right? Look at their horm hormonal apparatus. Look at their GI tract. Look at their history of trauma. Look at their relationships. What's really happening that may be contributing to anxiety? Mm -hmm. A lot of it, in my view, trauma that builds on trauma that builds on trauma. I'm right? sorry, you, you so broke up. Can factors. you repeat that? I didn't quite get that. Sure basically trauma that built on trauma, okay. right? Mm -hmm. And all these little traumas, these chronic traumas could be contributing to, I'm going to have a breakdown and get into a, dep a depressed episode because my body and my nervous system no longer handle the stress that I'm in. Right. I, I right? Yeah, I really want to touch on what you said earlier. It's not that the people or the physicians are, are, are bad or, or not not doing their best and don't want to help. The, the the system as a whole it, it yeah. puts so many limitations and from a top-down model has potentially uh, some misguided motivations to <laughs> misguided motivation motivations yeah mm -hmm. yeah and absolutely that, that was something um, I, I, someone... I had to confront directly I, I was so angry tell me, tell me about it yeah, I, I was so angry at doctors for for a long time when I wasn't getting the healing I I, I was I wanted, you know, and, and and needed in order to become that that productive person and, and a, you know a right. normal member of society and right. It, it really can destroy your sense of self worth because we are societal creatures and we respond to societal pressures. Right. It, it took me a long time to get past that emotional roadblock of blaming it on the people rather than putting it on the system. Well, I mean, we, <laughs> we go through the problem, you know, the problem with the Western model um, is we um, subordinate ourselves to the all-knowing God of the doctor. Mm -hmm. You heal me, fix me, because... Mm -hmm. I don't inherently have the tools. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if my arm gets chopped off, I'm going to beg the doctor to do something before I bleed out. I don't care how much mm -hmm. ayahuasca you put pour on your arm. <laughs> ain't going to fix it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With all due respect to my friends, my colleagues who are, who are, who are physicians and, and surgeons. Right. Mm -hmm. But then again, like, okay, so you had your arm chopped off. And then um, they suture it up and put you back together in some way. And then they send you out the door because that's all they can do. But the emotional trauma that happens about the phantom limb pain and all these things, how do we solve that issue? Mm -hmm. Unless the, these doctors, these physicians are in the know, they don't know. It's not on to the next, next patient. But we have this innate healing capacity within ourselves to restore the balance of our energetic, our, our, our physical, or our mental. Mm -hmm. Most of us just don't know. Again, Western society that's been cut off and, and um, divorced from our relationship with everything that permeates us, that creates our reality. Family, with relationships, with nature, with what we consume, the foods that we take in our bodies, how we relate with our bodies, all these things, right, mm -hmm. affect our experience. So most people get trapped in this cycle 
until you get to a place where you're like, fuck, I got to do something serious because I'm about to kill myself. Mm -hmm. And then people find psychedelics and hopefully they sit with a responsible, very skilled facilitator. And then they're like, oh, that. Yep, that. (laughs) Whatever whatever (laughs) that is. (laughs) That. (laughs) Right? Uh Aha. Um... Uh, we already talked about some of this stuff here. So, getting into this kind of mind-body connection, I think we, I had some questions written down. We are we already covered most of them, I think. <laughs> but um, I think one point that would be good to drive home for people is this type of feedback loop that you can get into between a physical trauma exacerbating an emotional trauma, an emotional trauma, then that, you know, that, that uh, exacerbation then leads to an exacerbation of the physical trauma and this, this endless cycle that, that yeah. can happen. Yeah. Um, so that's, you have to think the, the limbic system and the amygdala for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's our alarm system. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where what where our fear gets stored, mm-hmm. right? Um, so when um, you have early childhood trauma, you grew up in a unstable household, for instance. Okay, um, where there was food scarcity or emotional scarcity or some sort of abuse, you grew up in a war zone. Right, your nervous system, active and sympathetic, right? Our bodies respond, our breath changes, our awareness, our acute awareness to threat mm-hmm. is elevated, right? Everything goes on um, standby, right? Ready to fight, attack, or flee. That's like our first response to so save the organism. So when we are in this constant acute state of crisis all the time, our mind and our body gets locked into these behavioral patterns, our responses, our interpretations. So our, our, our relationship with a stimuli, our interpretation with that stimuli and our responses with that stimuli, right? So I call these in, in IFS, um, these are called manager parts or, or protectors. I like to call them knights. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were to consider like this metaphor of this young, very vulnerable child being in the middle of a fortress, right? And outside of the fortress, the, the walls, the walls are perhaps the body, right? And then outside the body are these knights that are with their shields up, their swords and their helmets. The bodies are armored, mm-hmm. right? They're, all, they're ready to go to war, mm-hmm. right? When someone's body is armored, you know what this means, right? What does that look yeah. like? Tell me. You tell me. You yeah. tell your audience. What does yeah. an armored body look like? So, uh, in in my experience, an armored body can be rigid, inflexible, uh, not wanting to move. It can uh, be a, a, an example. Uh, might be. Uh, 
a good metaphor might be a deer in the headlights, right? This, uh, right. It, it's frozen in time, frozen in time, and and yeah. not being open to new possibilities from from a mental perspective, and right, uh, yeah. it can get very defensive. Uh, right, it can be uh, easy to agitate. It can be right, uh, <laughs> uh, and. You people might start feeling this in their neck. They might start feeling this in their back. They might start feeling it in right. their elbows and their shoulders because yeah. they're in yeah. this type of, you know, <laughs> in this locked um, state, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So let's use a um, another example. Let's just say I have a I have this glass uh, of sparkling water in my hand, and I and I just let it go right here. It'll smash into smithereens because mm -hmm. it's inflexible. Mm -hmm. Right, same same cup but plastic. Mm -hmm. It's got give. Water's going to spill, but the, the, the cup's not going to break. Right, right. So let's just say we're armored already, mm -hmm. and then we're armored because uh, we're in stress and anxiety going to work, and we're running late to a meeting, so we're going sixty five and a fifty five, and a car pulls in front of us, and because we're already on on flight mode, trying to get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or forget, forget the brakes mm -hmm. and guess what happened mm -hmm. right? right I think it was interesting it was a statistic that people who are drunk drivers tend to survive accidents a lot more than people that are not drunk because their bodies are softer and upon impact right yeah they're, they're, right? They're, they're so if you're already armored yeah right mm -hmm. you're armored because of some childhood trauma that informs all this other trauma and your body is holding and stiff and, and protected and your muscles are rigid and then a car comes at you 15 miles 10 15 miles over the speed limit guess what there's going to be a lot more damage there right right so that's how that dynamic and plan right our minds are and we're really just talking about fight or flight Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and freeze, right? We're not getting into the nitty gritty. That's kind of the state of our nervous system, up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, it shows up as rage and like, like this mental inflexibility, physical inflexibility, shallow breathing, all these things, mm -hmm. right? And bottom up, if the body's already freaking out, guess what? The mind is freaking out. Now, mm -hmm. say you are sympathetically activated already then you have some trauma you have that accident right mm -hmm. there's that newer trauma our minds our nights are already activated and ready to go to war right right and there's another there, there's another invasion they're already bracing to go to war guess what that can elevate the experience or heighten the experience or the relationship with the, the, the newer trauma that's coming in. Right. And it's right? like we were already braced. Or our perception got, like, of it. Yeah, the, the lines got broken and what do we do now? Yep. <laughs> or a perception of it. It could mm -hmm. be some wild horses running into the woods, but they're ready to go to war. Mm -hmm. Right. And because they're already armored and inflexible inside, they're already hurting. And there's just some horses running out in the shadows mm -hmm. in the field down, down the way. Yeah, I remember uh, from, on, on Netflix, the uh, documentary version of, how, of Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind. There was a woman who, um, a great example of this, concrete example. She 
it's on the episode about MDMA and she walks in, right. her, her mom had committed a murder suicide and uh, mm. she walked into the house mm. to find it. And for a huge period of time after this, every time she would walk up to her own door and she'd hear her dogs uh, like excited to meet her and everything and, and jumping at the door and scratching, she would just break down and, and she had no idea yeah. why this was happening. She goes uh, yeah. into an MDMA session and she remembers that while she was walking into that house with her mom dead and I think one or two other people dead. I think it was two other people dead that her mom had killed. Um, there was this background noise of dogs who were locked in another room of the house who were scratching to get out. And she, yeah, didn't, see? she didn't even yeah. recognize that that was happening at the time, yeah. but it was, yeah. the information was stored. And right. every time she heard that, her brain that, that was those it was those warriors who were who were yeah. on guard who, who were yeah. who were saying hey yeah. there's there's you know enemy at the gates um, here. there's the imminent danger yeah imminent, mm -hmm. imminent danger mm -hmm. right and that that takes us into working with various medicines mm -hmm. which we can get into if you want on how these various medicines can can help us to kind of unlock what's going on yeah i i do want to do that but but i think yeah. to help people understand that a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, sure. <clears throat> if we could, you know, we've been talking a lot about internal family. We've been mentioning internal family systems, but my right. guess is there's a lot of people listening who don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> right. So maybe we could just, what is somatic internal family systems, like from a, a definitional standpoint? I think I think this will, I think this type of stuff will help people understand, you know. So yeah, so so the the multiplicity of mind, right? Mm -hmm. There's certain parts of us that take over in, in different times. You know, I always use this example. I'm having a formal conversation with you. It's a friendly conversation, but I've got my professional hat on. Right. right? Yeah, I'm using a particular language. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not using some other language that I may be <laughs> using when I'm with my family, right? So there's a part of me right now that turned on mm -hmm. right that's interfacing right? right so we have different parts of our minds that are activated so we're not just this unitary ego self there's many parts of us the way you relate with your dog is different than you relate with me right it's a loving kind soft open-hearted part mm -hmm. of you right and you could access that part to relate with me by recalling the love that's within you Right? right. So we have these parts. Okay. So we're not this one unitary um, being. IFS breaks down these parts into three primary parts. There are these manager parts um, or protector parts that are in one bubble. Okay. Or as the knights that I refer to. And manager parts are basically doing everything possible to create the organism, the body, mind from perceived harm or threat, keep the body and mind and homeostasis and that peace and, and in harmony. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then there is the, the, the extreme parts of firefighters. And these are more of the addictive parts of our minds and our body. And they come into action when manager parts have failed. And all these guys are doing is trying to help these younger parts of us, the part that's in the middle of the fortress, these very, very vulnerable parts of us that felt helpless that were victimized, that were harmed, that were hurt when they were children. Mm -hmm. These are called the exiles. 
And most of them are suppressed or repressed, but we're not cognizant of who they are, right? So our minds and our bodies behave in a way to protect the exiles from external stimuli that may be perceived as harmful to the managers or the firefighters to keep the, the system in harmony and homeostasis. Okay. That's that in short. Okay. Okay. And then our bodies, just as our minds, our body parts also have certain beliefs and certain certain roles that they play in trying to create harmony and homeostasis. Okay. Problem is when these parts came into being, they were really young. So they had distorted perceptions of reality. So they took on certain beliefs that may not be truly tuned in on to what reality is from the an adult perspective. Mm -hmm. So these young parts have these distorted beliefs and these distorted beliefs essentially as much as they're trying to protect us cause a lot more disharmony and destruction in our life when we're not in homeostasis or self. Right. And the self is the essential self, is the, is the soul, the, the part of us that cannot be harmed, right? The part of us that's eternal, the, the part of us that's completely open and, 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 and spacious and uh, spacious uh, state of loving and full acceptance of ourselves. And then it gets a lot more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how does somatic internal family systems apply to the psychedelic experience then? Um, so somatic IFS, um, I think we should get into the medicine and kind of weave the medicine and with some somatic IFS stuff and yeah. it'll start to make more sense as opposed to me being academic and then breaking, breaking it down into some, um, some of the more uh, theoretical stuff. So from a medicine standpoint, two of the medicines that are most immediately on, on the horizon for for use in America and were just recently approved in, in Australia, both uh, MDMA and psilocybin. What are the differences between these types of medicines? Um, okay, so very good questions and they're, they're lengthy. Um, mm -hmm. I would say that what I'd like to say that um, First and foremost, we're connected to spirit, all of us. Okay, what does that even mean? We're we're connected to ourselves and things that are beyond ourselves, right? And and the spiritual. Most people, because of how we've grown up, the society in which we've grown up, we've been separated by nature and the connection to the greater divine, if you will. Whether you can call it God, whether you can call it spirit, there's different names for it, right? Mm -hmm. Each and every one of us has access to spirit, though we may have forgotten. That's the first first thing I want to say. Because we're the con containers of the experience of spirit, it is within us, right? We've become so disconnected that we don't even know what that means. Mm -hmm. Now, there is synthetic medicines that have been derived from organics. And then there's organic medicines that come out of the earth, you eat it, and then you have a spiritual experience or you get what you need. Right. Right. So ketamine, for instance, that is being used as a synthetic, right? MDMA is a synthetic that is derivative from organics. 
and we have organics such as psilocybin, mm-hmm. which they're synthesizing to be make you know make into psilocin and blah blah blah, and, and right. we know what that's all about, right? But ultimately, these medicines get to help us to connect to ourselves, our deeper selves, our spirit, the spirit within us that is also the spirit that's without us, outside of us. Okay. Various medicines work differently in, in our physical or structural, the way we ingest them, how they work on different neurotransmitters and so forth. Um, and then we can get into how these particular ones work. So MDMA is a, is a really beautiful medicine in that it's an anxiolytic and an analgesic, mm-hmm. first and foremost, right? So it alleviates pain, right? And it alleviates anxiety, works on serotonin, dopamine, and oxy, um, oxytocin, excuse me, mm-hmm. and some other neurotransmitters. So it creates a sense of, sense of safety within ourselves. It creates a sense of curiosity. It creates a sense of openness. It creates a sense of relationship with ourselves. It allows us to feel safe within, especially people who have had trauma, especially people who have had pain, to be able to be within ourselves finally without being informed by the pain and the what-ifs and so forth. Now, I'm talking about these medicines in a shamanic ceremonial setting. I don't work with these medicines clinically, thankfully. Right. They, they, those medicines are facilitated drastically differently than the way I facilitate these medicines in the setting and the way I work with them, right? Psilocybin works on serotonin and does its own magic in that, in that the medicine in and of itself has a spirit, right? But if you were to kind of very kind of become scientific about it, you know, it creates entropy in our default mode network in our right. prefrontal cortex right here, which is the seat of our consciousness, right? It's the, it's the most recent layer of our, our brain that's developed. And in that entropy, in that chaos, we actually get to start to witness and reframe ourselves from a different lens that we may not have been in or been able to see through. Mm-hmm. But that's just a very, very simplistic way of looking at it. Okay. MDMA tends to soften us and, and relax the amygdala, our fear center. Right, so for, it's a really good medicine to work with for people who have had chronic trauma, right? Acute trauma, PTSD, PTSD from surgery, and all these things. These medicines allow us to soften up, more more specifically MDMA, to start to witness ourselves in a self state or in an essential self from the perspective of IFS, a part of us that is greater than these parts that are the protector parts or the knights or the managers or, or the extreme parts of the, the firefighters. So we can start to relax these parts that are hyperactive. Or we can look at it through the nervous system, right? We can look at it through the sympathetic. It sort of calms the sympathetic nervous system. We get into a state of more homeostasis and that window of tolerance and also energies that energizes us, right? So mm-hmm. it kind of elevates us from the parasympathetic or the parts of us that are dissociating or in collapse. So it kind of creates that window of tolerance of mind and body to where we can start to then surgically, metaphorically surgically, start to understand the nature of what these parts, whether they're mental parts or the somatic parts are doing in order to protect us and what, why, why they have been so hyperactive and starting to attenuate and help us see these parts 
and witness them from the prefrontal cortex, as opposed to being in the limbic system in the in the amygdala that's always in fight or flight. Yeah, these kind of ancient like uh, <laughs> reptilian parts of the brain. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. So when we are in this state with MDMA, for instance, where we are softened and uh, more more towards this this homeostasis, now we can apply these types of somatic internal family systems. And I know you, uh, I listened to your uh, your interview with um, Tobias Pennell. I think I'm saying his name right. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, you you were talking about applying acupressure techniques and um, mm-hmm. various things. When we start combining these other therapies with the psychedelic experience, what mm-hmm. type of doors does that open? Right. Or with the well, MDMA experience in particular? I, yeah. Well, I want to, I want to um, say a couple things, um, which I should have said very uh, much earlier on. Mm-hmm. I highly encourage people to be very cautious with working with these medicines. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Being cautious with the dosage that they're working with, mm-hmm. being cautious with the source they're getting the medicines from, mm-hmm. being cautious with who facilitates the medicine for them, their relationship with the medicine, their personality, their history, their character, right? Their reputation. Mm-hmm. Um Unless you're responsible and take a massive amount of MDMA, you, you will be fine, mm-hmm. right? But to really sit in the experience and really understand what this medicine can do for you and allow someone to be there to facilitate and guide you through the experience is another matter, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, These medicines can be used hedonistically and, and you can take, yeah, you can take MDMA and go party and, and go to a rave. I personally don't understand how people do that. <laughs> or take MDMA and Philo and ketamine and all these different things. And, and I'm sure it's fun. I, I simply don't understand how, how, how that's done. Um, so people need to be very, very cautious with the way they work with these medicines. Right. I wanted to preface that before I, before I speak. Yeah, I, okay. I also believe that um, these tools need to be respected. They, they can, uh, if, you don't, if you don't treat them with respect, you are playing with fire in a very real sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it can it can not be it cannot turn out that great. Mm-hmm. Um, it can even so be re-traumatizing. The <laughs> without a question, without a question, without a question. Um, so the 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 thing that I wanted to tell you is that we have access to self or essential self, right? And that essential self, that energetic body, once it starts to come into homeostasis or that window of tolerance. We have that inner intelligence to resolve our own stuff, okay? I don't particularly go into acupressure or body work or anything of that nature if the person that I'm working with hasn't even reached that state of self mm-hmm. to be able to be open in order to really fully understand the, the energy that may be locked in their body. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, while MDMA can be very heart opening and all this stuff, Sometimes because people have had trauma, these manager parts that are, that, that are getting loosened up by the medicine freak out and they start to behave erratically in medicine. Mm-hmm. And unless you're aware and attuned and know how to work with someone in that state, you may actually be doing more harm than good 
mm-hmm. by going in there and touching their bodies, right? Mm-hmm. So working with these medicines requires time and understanding the nature of someone's body and their psyche and their attachment traumas and various other traumas. And I'm not talking about someone who's incredibly skilled at understanding what these things mean and how they they present themselves in medicine, right? Just because you may know about them intellectually doesn't know how, doesn't mean that you know how they actually manifest themselves in someone's right. body and every single body is different. Mm-hmm. So we need to be very attuned as facilitators to understand how these parts that interweave with one another simultaneously present in medicine. Right. And hopefully getting someone to a state of homeostasis and state of self where they can start to notice the impressions of the psyche, notice the impressions of the body, and what these impressions are actually informing them about their history and their story. These younger parts of our minds and our bodies that are have been frozen in time. Okay? Mm-hmm. It needs to be done with utmost care and respect. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... I know there isn't a typical experience, but what what is the kind of overall process like when you uh, take someone into ceremony? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I have a pretty lengthy intake process. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of questionnaires that that you know question lists that people have to fill out. Uh, they may be referred by the therapist. So I speak with their therapist after they, you know, go through and fill out the questionnaires. I speak with them for 45 minutes and I speak with their therapist to understand what it is that they're coming with, if they're a good candidate, uh, or I refer them to some therapist or some people on my team who are um, somatic experience therapists or IFS practitioners or, or more holistic um, practitioners like embodiment and yoga practitioners. Mm-hmm. So make an assessment whether or not they're the right candidate for medicine work, what they're going in there for and what they're hoping to accomplish. Um, they do quite a bit of preparation work with the people that are on my team. And these people are, are referred to the seeker because they can help them uh, in, in addressing certain needs that they may be coming in with. Okay. Right. Then I do my own process of, of preparation with them. And that takes, um, probably about four hours of time over the course of two sessions, just kind of prepare for, okay, this is the stuff that we know. We know this is your history. This is the stuff that we may have not known about, but now we can recognize and acknowledge as being contributing factors to your dis-ease, right? So we know these things and we know what medicines we may be working with based on what you're coming in with. Then, then I sit with them over the course of about five days. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do one-off ceremonies. So people come to see me and we um, sit in a ceremony house wherever I am. I rent a house and um, we do one day of medicine, one day of rest, the second day of medicine, the second day of rest, and then the final day we depart. And during the, the, the course of these days, I'm with them 24 seven, mm-hmm. except for when I'm sleeping. So the ceremony happens to take uh, course over the four days, but it feels like a one-day process. You know, over right. the course of four days, you <laughs> see the sunrise and go down four days, but it's a it's a one-day ceremony. And during that time, we establish 
a relationship with medicine. We understand what these medicines, dosage and dosage protocol, which medicines work with to help the person access their psyche the way in, uh, the psyche needs to be accessed or access mm-hmm. the body the way that the body needs to be accessed to reset the body and the, the mind, to reset the nervous system, to reset the, the ANS and, and their various parts of us that may have been locked in time and to heal those and then to go on uh, hopefully integrating and working with a therapist or the people on their team and, and finding homeostasis and going on about their lives. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of your preferred methods for, uh, or, or suggestions uh, about integration? What do you mean exactly? Um, so there, are, there's lots of ways to go go about integrating these experiences into their lives. Um, do you have after ceremonies over? Uh, what do you, what type of practitioners might you send people to? What types of um, okay. daily habits, yeah. things like that, maybe? Right. So in recognizing parts of our minds and parts of our bodies and these roles that these parts took, once we start to recognize and distill who these parts are in the preparation phase, then we work with these parts. Again, these parts have, as much as they've tried to protect us, have essentially and inadvertently actually thrown us into discord and and dysfunction of body and mind, Mm -hmm. right? So depending on what shows up in the ceremony, Right, depending on whether these exiles show up or these young wounded parts, we work with various parts of our mind, various parts of our body to bring them into homeostasis in relationship with one another, relationship with self as the witness, and to lift off, to alleviate these burdens that they've taken on, these somatic burdens, those emotional burdens, those, those mental burdens, and to bring them into homeostasis. Right, That's kind of like the whole process of healing and becoming whole. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff starts to happen as a matter of course in ceremony, right? right? The wisdom of the medicine and the facilitation and what's being released, what's being restored and all those stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if, and again, it, it, it depends. Sometimes the experience is very, very big. You know, people just get opened up as we know, and like all of a sudden you're like, Oh Jesus yeah. Christ, I didn't know that was there. Right. Yeah. So we make <laughs> note of, <laughs> like holy shit right <laughs> didn't know that was hiding there right so so in recognizing these parts sometimes we need to work with these parts that we didn't even realize existed right and that's why i think working with an sc practitioner or an ifs practitioner or a somatic ifs practitioner is really critical in the integration phase because you're really truly working with the psyche of the body and the mind yeah mm-hmm. it's important to you know keep a log and I'll do all the, you know, integration tips and techniques that are taught in these online courses. And that superficial sort of kind of like a G, you know, G rated uh, kindergarten level stuff, you know, and not that that's not important. You know, if you really truly understand the nature of what these medicines do to the body and the, the mind and the psyche, you really need proper tools like these therapeutic models that are evidence-based to help bring the body and the mind into homeostasis and harmony with one another, or at least 
allow these parts that have been revealed to do less of what they're doing, which is creating, creating this discord in the body. And hopefully mm -hmm. in recognizing these parts, we sort of work with them and, and create homeostasis and stability in the body and the mind. Okay. Getting back to, we were talking about spirit earlier. Mm -hmm. What... What what kinds of you know for for me after after this I went through like a whole spiritual awakening and I, I know that's uh, a very common thing. What what role does that type of reconnection to spirit? What what does that look like for people in in some ways? Like what what role can that play in the healing process and? It, this doesn't mean people have to go out and, and join a religion or things like that, right? Um, but I, I think that there can be a a lot of pushback uh, in, in Western society on, on this type of of spiritual aspect to these medications, uh, you know, to, to, to the to these experiences that, that are. Uh, initiated by by <laughs> by the medications um what role do you think that plays in the healing process and and, and what role does it who, play for you I mean, <laughs> let me ask no, let's, yeah, let's, yeah. let's start yeah let's start together yeah we, we can make it relational together and then yeah and then go from there because i i remember you telling me you were a scientific scientific materialist you're yeah you were yeah, just basically like this is it and then i die and that's the end of the story yeah, yeah. And now what <laughs> now that you've woken up now now what now what what's it like for you yeah well, I mean, what's it like for me is a rekindling of, of a sense of awe and wonder in in, in this universe, uh, you know, in, in the nature of uh, like what this this belief that consciousness is a fundamental nature aspect of reality for me now, right? Uh, the, the, yeah, the, it's a uh, a force in and of itself. You know, we, we talk about the strong right. nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, gravity, electromagnetism. I think we might be leaving part of uh, you might be leaving a big force off the table there. <laughs> and well, go ahead. My, I mean, my my answer to you would be, you know, spirituality to me means to be part of a of a greater entity, a greater mm -hmm. force, right? What What is yoga? Yoga is a practice of union with body, mind, and union with consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. So yoga has eight eight different limbs. Only one limb is, is asana, right? It's the movement of it. But we are energetic bodies, right? And this is getting into some esoteric and exoteric philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. But when we distill the body, and I think you and I touched on it, when we you know protons, you know, we're pro protons and neutrons, you know, and, and we started like distill and, and strip that away, and then we're quarks, and then what's, what's there? We're nothing. So mm -hmm. depending on what layer and level we look at, we are just one thing. You know, I'm a mental manifestation of my thoughts. Uh, I'm a body, I'm a male bodied person sitting down in Holland. Yeah, but I'm mm -hmm. not all that, you know, I'm greater than and beyond that, right? So the connection to the greatness and the vastness that's within and that's without, and that connection that permeates everything for me. Mm -hmm. 
how we get there is entirely up to you. That's 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 for the person to decide. Some people read a, um, the Torah or the Quran or the Bible and mm-hmm. believe what they're told as, as true as mm-hmm. God. But we are all God. Mm-hmm. You know, that sounds sacrilegious to some people, but in, in essence, when that, once that's stripped away, we are consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. We are everything and nothing at all. It's just a different interpretation of God created us in his image, right? <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. We are him and he, him, it, them. Yeah. They, him. They all, yeah. The, we, I was we are the Bible. Him, but... there's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, there's the biblical him. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. We are him in the biblical sense. You're right. Um, yeah. But, uh, for me, you know, spirituality is the interconnection, the interwovenness of it all, right? Mm-hmm. You're there and I'm here, but we're relating. Yes, you know, we're having a professional conversation, but I can talk to you from a place of a heart because I, I don't care anymore about the facade of what it means to be a man and, oh, I'll be this and I have to talk about this and wear these clothes and be this person and talk this way, you know? It's all interconnection. Mm-hmm. And once all those layers are stripped away, it's just love, man. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like being in a state of pure awareness and pure love. That's really it. And essentially, what a lot of these medicines do is turn off our minds to where we can get into this unitary state of God or love. Mm-hmm. And once we're there, then why would I want to go harm someone else? Why would I mm-hmm. want to do something harmful to some other person? Why would I want to go participate in a war and kill people that I have never even met that I could have had tea with a month or two mm-hmm. months before that? Yep. Right, uh, it, it, it starts to fall apart. Like this, this insanity that we're in starts to fall apart. How separate are <laughs> we? How true is it even to say that there are other people? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it, it leads you to question <laughs> the, 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 these fundamental aspects uh, yeah. of of how how we've how we come up in, in this material mindset and <laughs> the, this yeah. idea that we're separate from nature rather than a part of nature, right? Uh, this, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying I believe in God as like a man in the sky who's judging me. I, I look at God as everything, every piece of matter, every vibration Absolutely. of energy in the universe. You know, it, yeah. Uh, and God, God's consciousness is in the medicines we 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 take mm-hmm. into our bodies, and then mm-hmm. we realize that oh yeah, we are that, and that is us. And we are the that, ocean and the drop, and the drop in the ocean. Right, yeah. What's what's the difference? <laughs> yeah. And for me, there was a lot of resistance to these these new ideas that were presented to me, right? And I had to finally just surrender, <laughs> you know, surrender to the, this idea that I I don't know that that there. It, it, and the the scientist the, you know, the scientist in me could say, well, you know, uh, if you can't prove it, it doesn't exist. Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but when you really go back to you know, like what Terence McKenna said, you know, what the scientific what the scientific paradigm, Western scientific paradigm, would have us believe is. You give us the one miracle at the beginning, and we can explain all the rest. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's I, I, and and for me, it's really just trying to be in harmony with everything that is, mm-hmm. and right. being in balance as best as I can be, and to help 
others find balance within themselves and inner harmony and peace mm-hmm. you know so so then we're in a state of quote, quote unquote heaven as opposed to in a state of hell mm-hmm. right whether it's the literal or metaphorical that's kind of like being in a state of peace and harmony in the in the reality that we participate mm-hmm. in yeah this this idea of accepting reality as it is rather than trying to force my idea of reality onto the universe and then getting mad when the universe doesn't just magically conform to uh to how i think it should be you know (laughs) right yeah just being able to do the dance exactly Mm -hmm. that's what that that piece of spirituality is and and, uh once i was woken up to my own illusion right once i was awakened to the nature of it all um, now I can dance between both realities of the spirit plane and the, the material plane and, you know, be here and go there and back and forth. And that's a harder right. thing to do because <laughs> yeah, that's not easy. Yeah. I mean, science is great. Provides without science, we wouldn't be talking right now. You know, <laughs> uh, it's in a weird way, this, this spiritual aspect of things has a, greatened my appreciation for science while at the same time reframing it um right <laughs> it's just a tool right yeah all it is we, is a tool it's not exactly. god mm-hmm. and that's what psychedelics are they're, they're a tool as well it's if you're yeah if, they're, if you're appropriate <laughs> for them and if they're appropriate mm-hmm. for you right yeah right. like any tool they can be used for good they can be used for uh not so good right uh, and there's Wolf Wolf. Someone must have uh, got home here. <laughs> um, yeah, and talk about how psychedelics can be used, you know, good or bad. I, we're coming up on time here. We'll wrap up pretty quickly. But uh, what type of, uh, very briefly, what, what type of conditions would you say? are not conducive to the psychedelic experience, uh, particularly with MDMA and psilocybin? Um, well, there's, there's physical limitations to certain people that shouldn't be working with those medications. There's just contraindications physically, and there's mm-hmm. contraindications mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is that um, essentially, um, one should preferably be in a state of homeostasis or being in the state of being able to witness themselves from a state of self as the observer, um, mm-hmm. noticing their parts. So people who have personality disorder, for instance, you know, if there's uh, narcissist personality disorder, like NPD, mm-hmm. right? borderline personality disorder, uh, schizophrenia. These, these are personality structures that can be very, very, very hard to work with. Uh, and these personality structures are parts of the people are so ingrained into the superstructure of the mind that they may get into these deeper states of consciousness or awareness, but as soon as they're out of, out of the medicine, they, they, they can get back into these superstructure parts, right? And there's comorbidities with these disorders, right? Anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. right? A lot of or suicidality, right. substance abuse, 
all these comorbidities. So people may come in and say, well, I feel anxious or I feel depressed or I have a drinking problem or I feel suicidal or what, what have you. But they, these may be just symptomologies of personality structures or disorders that are, that are quite hard to work with in, in medicine, especially certain medicines that, that dislodge these parts that the individual believes that they are and actually makes the experience a lot more harder and may put people in temporary psychosis and give, or give them a bad trip, right? So there's certain personality structures that I wouldn't advise people to, to work with as facilitators or people who may know that they're, you know, have um, NPD or BPD or, you know, definitely not schizophrenia. Um, so the cluster A, cluster B, cluster C, like knowing where, where you fall and what you're actually going in there, there to work with and what symptomology you're trying to work with. It's very, very complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, 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 the physical contraindications, especially with MDMA, psilocybin, you should be fine, larger, fine. You'll make them out of a very hard experience. Um, and Philo, again, it's more uh, personality structures, MDMA, if you have hypertension, if you have um, diabetes, liver conditions, if you're on certain medications, certainly would not advise the thing. So people should really definitely do their research and see whether or not they're candidates for these medications, medicines. Right. Yeah, definitely. There's risk with every treatment, unfortunately. There's, right. there's no, uh, <laughs> no one size fits all, I don't think. Yeah. So before we do uh, part ways, if anyone is interested in your services or learning more about you, where can they do that? And I'll, I'll link these, yeah. these uh, resources in the episode description for you guys as well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can visit my site, um, Um I have a lot of lectures and a lot of podcasts on my resource link. Um, which is obviously listed there. And if you're interested in working with me, you can certainly reach out um, and I'll be sure to, to get back to you in a timely fashion. And yeah, we can start a conversation and see if, uh, if I'm the appropriate person and if you're the appropriate person to work with me. <laughs> All right, great. Um, I think that's all I've got for you. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I wanted to thank you, John, for um, starting this podcast and sharing the wisdom through your own personal experience for those who are seeking healing from, from pain. Um, and I also wanted to, in closing, also thank um, every person that I've worked with. They've been my teachers. Um, they've taught me through their experience, as well as my, my spiritual teacher, Ram Das, uh, Richard Schwartz. Peter Levine, Susan McConnell, uh, Frank Anderson, all these guys have, uh, all these people have, have taught me spiritually and informed uh, my practice. So I wanted to recognize them and uh, the seekers that have trusted uh, their bodies, their minds, and their spirits with me. So I wanted to do that before I said goodbye. <laughs> thank you. I, I, I thank you for taking the time to meet with me. This, this has been a great discussion. Sure. And uh, I hope that everyone listening, if, if they're listening still, they must have found a lot of value in it. So, <laughs> well, I, I I hope so, and I'm I'm happy to um, speak to whomever is interested in my practice and people who who want to um, continue the conversation on, on other broadcasts or platforms. I'm happy to speak with them as well. Alrighty, sounds good. Okay. Uh, thank you, Pyam.
Thank you.